We are in week number three of our series, Family Matters. And uh, man, it's been such a great series. Uh, the first two weeks we talked about, of course, uh, God um, says the family matters and it matters to him because you matter. Uh, we also have, have, I would say, learned the fact that the very first family, they kind of messed up. And so life is messy. Families are messy. Um, and uh, how many of you here, raise your hand if your family's messy. Okay, yeah, there we go, everybody, that's good. And we learned that in uh, family, matters to God, there's some things he wants us to know and, and, and some aspects of family that matter to him that we need to adopt as a family. And one of those, communication matters. We talked about then last week, forgiveness matters. This week, we're gonna talk about boldness and boldness matters. Have you ever met a really bold, confident person? Um, I, I used to uh, be... Well, I still, I guess I am a Gator fan, but all right, let's go. The Holy Spirit's here. And uh, I love the Florida Gators, but you did Tim Tebow during the Tim Tebow days, right? He would get like really passionate and really, he had like all this confidence. And I wanted to like charge onto the football field with him, right? As he would go. Have you ever met somebody that uh, has that kind of boldness? It's almost, um, if I could say this, like attractive, Right, you just, it, it's something about that person that makes you want to also be bold and you want to be confident. Um, I remember uh, meeting my wife for the very first time and I had come from a small town, small church, small state. Uh, and so I, I just was kind of shy and we met each other in college in history class. I would uh, sit all the way in the back because I was shy and she would sit in the, always in the back because she was late. True story. And uh, she wants to argue right now, but I have the mic. <laughs> and oh, I remember one time she just turned around. She would always come in with her, with her two friends and they would just walk in, you know, all confident and bold. And they would sit in the back late. And uh, she looked at me one time and she said, what are you doing here? Why are you always sitting in the back? You're doing it because you want to check out everybody? And it just made me like, oh, like I froze up. I didn't know what to say. But I knew I was attracted to that boldness and the confidence that she had. And I have been around other people that are more bold or more confident. And it makes you want to be bold. And it makes you want to be confident. I also think that sometimes we misinterpret or misdefine boldness. And it makes us as a follower of Jesus, if, if you are one in here this morning that has, has chose to follow Jesus, it can keep us from being bold as a family or bold as a person that follows God or follows Jesus because we've seen other people that would define themselves or other people would define them as bold, but really it's more arrogant, right? Or just mean, right? Or, or, or they just, they're able to type in all bold letters and in all caps in their text messages or on Facebook or a social media platform. And so sometimes we define being a bold follower of God or follower of Jesus by people who are more arrogant, or, or maybe we've been there before, right? Where we have felt bold, but really it was more arrogance on our part. I uh, feel that in society, there's a lot of things we're allowed to be bold about. One of them is our sports teams, right? Or, or maybe our worldview, or it could be um, our politics or or social views, at least if that person's agreeing with me, right? I can be bold. But oftentimes as a follower of Christ, the, 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 as bold as we get is this. 
we uh, go to Hobby Lobby or maybe Chick-fil-A, right? And we, we get in the Chick-fil-A line and we're like, all right, I'm bold, closed on Sunday. I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't go to restaurants. Well, I don't go to Chick-fil-A on Sunday because they're closed. <laughs> or we go to Hobby Lobby, right? Or we send the, the wife to Hobby Lobby and we get this and we hang it in our house. Uh, you guys read cursive anymore? No? Okay, I'll have it up on, the, up on the screen, the verse. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord in the privacy of our own home. <laughs> right? And this goes as far as we think we can be as bold as followers of Jesus. If you're in here today and, and maybe you haven't made the choice or, or made the decision to follow Jesus, or I would say yet, you haven't made the decision yet to follow Jesus. Can I tell you, there's nothing more attractive about a person who's bold and confident in their faith. And I can also tell you that there's nothing better or more attractive than a family together in unity that's bold about their faith. By the way, no matter what your family looks like, no matter how messy your family is or how much you extra need Jesus, right? You say, my family, we love Jesus, but man, we really needed Jesus this week. God wants us to be bold as a family, not arrogant. Maybe, maybe in your family, you're thinking of the bold person right now, right? Because they're the most loud person in your family. That's not boldness. Or maybe you're thinking of the biggest risk taker in your family, right? The, the risk taker, the, the one that would, doesn't mind jumping out of the airplane at whatever, 30,000 feet, and they'd be the first to go skydiving. That's not the bold person. We're talking about being bold as a follower of Jesus. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. The best way that I believe we can define boldness in here is, is this. Boldness is confidence in action. Boldness is confidence in action. You ever met someone that talks a big game, but when it comes down to it, there's no action? So the boldness comes out of the mouth, but not out of the action. I would say boldness is confidence, but confidence in action. What they say matches up with what they do. Boldness in action. But I think we need to ask ourselves two questions here before we get started. When we talk about confidence, when we talk about boldness, the first question comes to mind is, what is the action that we must take? If boldness is confidence in action, and we want to be bold families that serve the Lord, what is the action that needs to take place. And then I think we need to punt a little bit more, back up a little bit more and ask ourselves this question previous to that question. And that's this, where do you get your confidence? I used to get my confidence as a 13, 14 year old boy from Reggie Miller. Anybody remember Reggie Miller? Oh yeah, Reggie, 4-3 every time. He may have missed a couple, but I never saw those ones. I remember in my living room watching our probably 11-inch TV. We were just thankful it was color. And watching the Pacers and the Knicks play and Reggie Miller scoring eight points in what was it, 8.6 seconds. And that filled me with so much confidence and so much boldness, right? He'd look at Spike Lee and make the choking sign like, ha ha, Knicks are choking, Pacers are better. Reggie was 
probably arrogant, but we're going to say bold. He was confident and I would run outside, grab my basketball and go to Market Square Arena. It was really my driveway, but I called it that at the time. And I would try to shoot just like him. I would kick my leg out just like him. I would try to be just like him because I saw how confident and how bold he was. My confidence that I was drawing was from another human being. And sometimes we can pull our confidence from maybe our family or our marriage or how we would define who we are as a person. Maybe we pull our confidence from our job security or our financial security. That's looking at our bank account makes us confident and secure. Or maybe if we're in control of our circumstances or we feel like we're in control of our circumstances. Maybe it's our personality or we get our confidence from a friend's advice or from our education. Maybe it's the assets we acquire or the books we read. None of those are bad things or terrible things, but the leaning and the swaying and drifting that we do as human beings is if we get our confidence from anything but Jesus, it will eventually turn into arrogance. True boldness, true confidence doesn't come from anything inside of us or our surroundings or any human being. It should come from God. And we're going to look today at what I would say is one of the more bold people or bold leaders in the word of God. In all of the stories, if I could fill out like in the top five most bold people, I would say that are in the Bible. Of course, one of them comes to mind, John the Baptist, right? Bold guy, bold dude. And I just picture him with a Pastor Randall beard, don't you, right? And the Bible says that he ate locusts and honey. I picture a couple locusts, Egg, or eggs, <laughs> legs, like in his beard, you know, because he's kind of eating them and drip. Yeah, and anyway, that's how I do it, okay? <laughs> Judge me. Bold, the man that we're going to talk about today is Joshua. And Joshua was the one that said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it was a bold statement, but this sign should be more than just a little bit of the scripture in this verse taken out of ne- necessarily context, but a little bit out of context. His audience that he said it to, we're going to find out, was important to the story. And how he lived his life boldly matched up with the words that he said. And I'm all for this sign. This is literally our sign that hangs over our kitchen sink. I love it. But being a bold follower of Jesus is more than just a cute phrase or sign that we say to ourselves. The story of Joshua is important to kind of back up and rewind a little bit and look at how he got to where he was. He was leading the nation of Israel. He was leading the families of this nation that were actually coming out of wandering in the wilderness. And they were wandering in the wilderness for a reason. And their previous leader, Moses, had led them out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. And they had gotten to the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army, the Egyptian army, running after them. And so they get to the Red Sea, and we all know the story. If we've been in Sunday school or church long enough, the Red Sea opens. God uses his power and gives it to Moses, who takes his staff and says, boom, and the waters part. Then, of course, the Pharaoh's army, they follow afterwards. And when they get in the middle, right, 
they're on the other side, nation of Israel, and the waters come down and destroy Pharaoh's army and God comes through for Moses. But then the people of God, the people of Israel, when they reach this promised land, the land of Canaan that God had promised the nation of Israel for hundreds of years, when they finally get to it, they send 12 spies. Does anybody remember the song? I didn't do this in the first service, but what was it? 12 spies went into Canaan, 10 were bad and two were good. No? Okay. <laughs> Some of you remembered by your laugh. Well, there was 10 spies, 12 spies altogether. 10 of them went in and they come back and they make their report and they say, well, here's the thing. God was right. This land that he's going to give the nation of Israel, give us and our families, it does run rich with resources. The fruit's big. The resources are big. There's milk and honey. It's incredible, but also the people are really big. There's giants in the land. And I know God said that this is our promised land, but I'm going to tell you, there's too many obstacles in the way. And so they don't go in. The other two spies that came back said, yes, God's right. And they're also right. The people are really big, but God said, we can do it. We should go do it. If he says in his word, let's do it. Well, one of those men was a man named Caleb. The other man, his name was, you guessed it, Joshua. So God teaches the nation of Israel a very expensive lesson. He says, I'm going to command your people because you didn't follow my word. You're going to have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So this entire nation and all their families for 40 years wandered in circles in the wilderness until Moses passes away, their bold and fearless leader, and Joshua takes over. Joshua, now the leader, says, all right, I said this a long time ago. I'm now 40 years older. We're going into that promised land. We're going into Canaan, and it's going to be ours. God promised it to us. And so the first battle is the Battle of Jericho. And you remember, right, the Battle of Jericho? This is one of my favorite stories. And I always pictured it this way. I pictured Joshua, bold and confident leader, you know, with his family being bold and confident. And he walks in, and he says, all right, army of Israel, we're the biggest and baddest. And they're like, yeah, we're the biggest and baddest. And we're the toughest. Yeah, we're the toughest. He says, I came up with a good battle plan. They said, really? He says, well, actually God came up with it. And he said, well, if God came up with the battle plan, surely it's a good one. He goes, yeah, you ready? And they're like, yeah. What's the first thing we do? He says, this is the first thing we do. We walk around the city. And they said, yeah, walk around the city. Why? And he's, is it because we want them to, yeah, oh, probably good. We'll just walk around, they'll see all of our swords and our shields and how confident we are and how bold we are and how awesome we are and how big we are and how strong we are. And so they walk around the city and then day two comes. He goes, all right, you ready? Step two. They're like, step two, now. And they start to pull their, I'm sure, their swords out of their sheaths, you know, like, all right, now we're gonna charge, right? We're gonna storm the gates. And he says, now we walk around the city. (laughs) And they said, and? And he goes, and then we go home. They do that day three, day four, day five, day six. And then on day seven, Joshua says, finally, guys, the battle plan changes. And they go, finally, Joshua, we're starting to think you're a little crazy. Now, what is it? And he goes, we walk around six times in one day. And they go, now we do believe you're crazy. And they walk around six times, blow the trumpets, blow the horns, and God himself takes the walls of Jericho and make them crumble down and the nation of Israel takes the city. 
I say that all to say this, that every time God said, if you follow my word, it may look impossible, but what I told you I would give you, I will give you. It's not for you to decide if it's logical, it's for you to decide it's what God said. And if God said it, I always come through when I speak my word, when I write my word, every time I come through thousands of years, it's never failed. And so we find as a family, the thing that we must do, if we are going to be bold families, families of God that live boldly, we must demonstrate three things. And here's the first one. You ready? Write it down or get your phone out. I think this has become more of the popular thing. People just pop their phone out and take a picture of the slide. Write it down, take a picture. Number one, bold faith. Bold faith. So Joshua was written, we don't know the author, we assume it could have been Joshua, but the author of the book of, of Joshua writes this for the very first, I think it's 13 chapters. He talks a lot about what God did. And then he sets up now that they've taken the promised land, all of the structure in the next couple of verses for our chapters from 13 to like 22, he starts to give out land to the different tribes and he starts to set up the structure of this brand new nation that is finally able to believe because they're there in the promised land. And then the first 13 verses of the final chapter of Joshua, Joshua brings all of the elders, all of the leaders, all of the war leaders, all of the heads of state, all of the, the leaders of the families all together. And he reminds them of everything that I just said. He says, let me tell you the story of God. Well, God had told him to tell the story of how the walls of Jericho had come down, how they defeated the Amorites, how they were able to cross the Red Sea and God came through. And then after reminding them of how much faith they needed, he says this all comes from his word. And then number two, he says, I'm gonna require bold families to demonstrate bold service. So in verse number 14, this is what's written and this is what Joshua says. He says, so... I just gave you what God told me to say of how he had always come through. Now let me tell you what I believe we need to do with it. He says, so fear the Lord and serve him. Say this with me, church, wholeheartedly. He said, enough playing around. It's been hundreds of years, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Finally, we did what God had promised us, and we could have done this years ago, hundreds of years ago, definitely 40 years ago. And so God's always come through. So here's the thing, people of Israel, I'm tired of wandering in the wilderness. Let's serve the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. He goes on in the verse to say, serve the Lord alone. We love serving God when serving God doesn't require us to serve wholeheartedly. He goes on in verse number 15, end of the verses, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Serving God is a part of being a bold family and a bold family for God. And we serve God by loving people. We serve God by being generous with our time, our money and our talent. And then if we look at the rest of 
the story, <clears throat> excuse me, in all context. I'll come to my last point. I know I went through the first two. You're like, wow, this is going to be a fast sermon. This is where the message comes in. And this is where Joshua makes his bold statement. Bold service requires this, number three, bold sacrifice. Being bold can come easy when you're wearing the jersey of the team who owns the stadium. It's harder to be bold when you walk into the stadium wearing the opponent's jersey. Trust me, I know as a Patriots fan. Don't hold that against me. (laughs) Joshua says in verse number 14, I'll say it again, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. And then what does he say? Put away, how long? Forever. The idols of your ancestors that worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. This is one of the things I like about Joshua. We're going to find this out throughout the whole rest of the chapter. He's a little passive aggressive. And I kind of like that about him. I wouldn't suggest being passive aggressive, but it's almost like he goes, yeah, right. We've been through this before. (laughs) People of God, we don't have a great history of every time God comes through us going, man, God came through and then serving him with our whole heart. We go, thank you, God, for coming through. I've got it from here. And he says, I've seen this happen before. He goes, so if you refuse to serve the Lord, then you know what? Let's not go back and forth. Choose this day who you will serve. And he was being a little passive aggressive because he's basically saying, well, let's make some suggestions here. Uh, Would you prefer to serve the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? And then he makes the statement, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Every time I ever saw one of these signs or heard someone quote that, I pictured Joshua in his tent with one of these signs that he had just made and go, this is going to be a great sign. The QR code for this will be uh, in front of you. Uh, You can get this at Hobby Lobby. It's down the desert. You turn right on Desert Avenue, which is where they were. And I pictured him saying in the privacy of his own home to his family, hey, we're going to serve the Lord. But that had already taken place. He wasn't saying this to his family and he wasn't saying this to the enemies of God. He was saying this to the people of God. He was saying this not just to the people of God, but the leaders of homes and the leaders of the nation of Israel. He was making a bold statement to them. In other words, he was saying, I know that many of you in here have chose to follow God the way you've wanted to follow him or have kept on going back and forth to idols in your life and being driven by culture instead of being driven by God's word. As for me and my house, we're no longer going to do that. We are going to serve the Lord, whether the rest of the people of God are in or out. That's a bold statement. It's a bold statement because the truth be told for all of us, our natural drift is to the culture we live in to kind of get a little bit of what culture says and mix it with the word of God and try to make the two work together. And Joshua continues the conversation because the people reply to this. They just saw the boldness of Joshua and they're like, 
that guy's bold. I'm in. The people replied, verse 16, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. Oh, come on, people of Israel. We've seen this happen before. Then they say, for the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes and we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies and he preserved us and all the other things that you just said, Joshua, in the very first 13 verses. They repeated what he said. Like they were telling Joshua what he literally had just said. So then Joshua warns the people in verse 19. He says, you're not able to serve the Lord for he's a holy and jealous God. He tells them, "Mm -mm." he tries to use a little reverse psychology here. You ever done this with your children, right? You won't clean the room. You're not strong enough. (laughs) Yeah, I am. Got him. Yes. And all the students in here are like, wait. Joshua says, you won't do it. And here's why you won't do it. Because God is a jealous God. I don't know about you, but it always bothered me when I, would see that. I'm like, so you can be jealous, God, but I can't. There's a lot of verses about me not being jealous, but you get to be. Yeah, he does. And here's why he's jealous. He's jealous because he paid a big, big, big price for you and I. Sacrificed his only son while we were yet sinners, even though we didn't deserve it. He sent his only born son to pay the price for you and I to have a relationship with him. And so when we enter into a covenant and a relationship with Jesus, he says, you're mine. And before we put our hand on our hip and go, oh, belong to no one. Try that with your spouse. Try to say, you know what? Here's the thing. I was thinking this would be a good idea. How about you're not good enough? doesn't work. And so God says, if you're going to enter into a relationship with me, I want all of you. That's fair. First of all, just because he's God. But secondly, because he gave a big price for you and for I, for me. English, I got it. (laughs) So the people reply back in verse 21. The reverse psychology is working. Good Good job, Joshua. The people answered Joshua and said, no, we will serve the Lord. So then Joshua says this. He goes, you're a witness to your own decision. In other words, he says, you hear what you're saying, right? You're a witness to your own decision. And they replied, yes, we are witnesses to what we have said. And then Joshua says, all right, then. Destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord God of Israel. People said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. They commit. They covenant. In fact, in verse 25, it says Joshua then made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, committing them to follow the decrees and regulations of the Lord. They came together and said, I know what our ancestors did. I know how they live. But today we are going to choose for our families to serve the Lord and not the idols of the people with which we live. We're not going to let 
the people that don't follow God decide how we live. It's not arrogant. There's risk that is involved in it. There's a cost when we decide to follow Jesus. I feel like for our church, for our people, we're coming to a day and age where, I don't know about you, but I've, I've followed the idols of what makes me feel good for long enough. I've enjoyed what society has to offer and oftentimes I have tried to mix the two and follow God, but also follow what I want. I believe God can change the desires of our heart and want something spiritual, but oftentimes I find myself drifting from what God's word says and listening more to what other people or things or environments or what my television says and tried to mix the two. I believe after a while God says, choose this day who you're going to follow. Who's it going to be? Will you be okay with making the bold decision? Will you have confidence in me and make it move into action? But here's what it will cost you. Idols. It will cost you things that you worship more than me. And here's what's scary about that. Have you ever been, maybe I'm just speaking from my own experience, but I, I, I've been on a cliff before, not a big one, but like a 30-foot cliff, jumping into water with my friends. And later one time, that same cliff with my wife, we walked up to the edge, right? And you have that one person says, all right, guys, ready? On three, let's all do it. And you're like, yeah. Or other people are like, yeah, let's do it. And you walk up to the cliff and one, two, and then one person jumps, right? And then what happens? Ha ha. <laughs> no one likes being the person to go first and then no one answers. It's kind of like this, and you can feel sorry for me for a second, being a pastor and being on stage and going, guys, say this all with me. And everyone goes, mm, I don't know. <laughs> and then I say it, or I go, here's a joke. And I'm the only one that laughs. No one likes to be the person that jumps out alone. Why? Because we're feeding off of the confidence of everyone around us and not off of what God's word says. We're waiting for someone else to make the move. I remember uh, before when, when we started trying to get people to raise their hands in worship, right? I was like, hey, it's okay to raise your hands. Well, it took someone to go. I don't care if anyone raises their hands. Uh, for me singing loud, it eventually I had to go, I know my voice is terrible, but I don't care who thinks anything about that. And if no one else is going to sing loud, I'm going to sing loud. Right? Boldness oftentimes comes from what we're watching other people do as opposed to Joshua, who was making a decree to other people of God and saying, no, as for us, as for me and my family, we are no longer going to serve the idols of this culture. We are going to serve God. We are going to get our confidence from his word. There's nothing wrong with a big bank account, but if our confidence comes from our big bank account, eventually that will turn into arrogance. There's nothing wrong with it, 
But if we serve that over God, then we are giving into an idol and not serving God. Because what does culture tell us? Have the biggest bank account as possible. Why? Because that's where your security comes. And as people of God, we have made that mistake for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. We go, no, no, no. Our bank account doesn't matter. It only matters serving God. And then we look at our bank account, right? (laughs) Or maybe back when we were in college, right? We looked at it and we go, okay, I'm going to get this Starbucks. I hope I don't overdraft. Mom, can you send me money? I asked my mom because my dad wouldn't. Sorry, dad. We fall into an idol. Something that we put above what God says. Students, can I talk to you for a second? No matter where you go to school, can I tell you that culture right now is going to tell you that who you are and what you should do should come from how you feel. How do you feel? Well, today I feel this way. Then follow your feeling. And can I tell you what's so damaging about that lie? What's so damaging about that lie is faith doesn't come from a feeling. And so I believe we have a generation of students who are being affirmed by their families and affirmed by their leaders in society that you do what you feel And if you do what you feel, you'll be okay. And when we do what we feel, we wonder why we're more depressed, have more anxiety, and have more trouble. And it's because with faith, the feeling comes afterwards. God didn't give the people of Israel the answer at Jericho. He didn't give them the answer at the Red Sea. He said, follow my word, no matter how you feel. And then afterwards, can you imagine the feeling? Can you imagine how much more confident they were in God when God came through, even though they didn't feel it? And the reason why God does that is because he says this about our hearts, because we have messiness and sin in our hearts, we're born that way. Every single one of us, we're all on the same level playing field. He says, if you follow your heart, your heart is deceitful above all and desperately wicked. And who can know it? Not even you. And we're taught, student, at a very young age, you know yourself and you know your heart. Can I tell you, more than likely, if you do the opposite of the way you feel, you'll probably be okay. And all the adults shake their head up and down and go, yep. Not because they're trying to teach you a lesson because they know I wish I hadn't done just the way I felt. Don't fall into that lie. Don't fall into that trap. Do what God says. It's so basic and it's so simple and honestly sounds kind of boring. But it's not. When you find out that God comes through on his promises Every single time it should lead that bold faith to a bold service of God, which leads to bold sacrifice of saying, I don't want the idols in my life. 
You know why I don't want idols in my life? Because they're liars. They lie. They tell you they'll make you feel good and they leave you with nothing but brokenness. And it's time as a church and as families and as individuals, we say enough of the lies. It's time to cut off the television. It's time to cut off social media. It's time to cut off that friend that you like to be around because it feels good to talk about the things that you shouldn't be talking about. And they make you feel good about yourself, but it's a lie. And say, I choose truth. And it may not feel good to choose truth in the moment. No one ever wants to hear from the doctor that they're sick. But unless we know we're sick, we don't know what to fix. And the idol says, you have nothing to fix. Follow your heart. Can a pastor dream for a second? A dream of my family, your family, and the family next to your family, choosing today who they'll serve. And saying, my generational history, there's curses and chains in my family, and today, I don't choose to follow into the same path that they are on or that same path that I am on today. I choose to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow his word. Why? Because it's the only thing that always follows through with truth. Watch what happens after the covenant in verse number 31. The people of Israel serve the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of all the elders who outlived them. Those who had personally experienced all the Lord had done for Israel. A dream came true. An entire nation lived boldly and with confidence. Why? Because one man said, as for me and my family, doesn't matter what the world does, doesn't even matter what other people that say they follow God do. We're choosing to follow God. No matter the sacrifice, no matter that lying idol that we had to put away, we choose God. And can you imagine? I'm just, I'm not even imagining a nation right now. I'm imagining a church, which then in turn, affects an entire city because boldness and confidence is ready for this, contagious. One family, one family that came from one man that said, we're entering into the covenant. We promise, we're moving forward. We don't care what anyone else does. And that made all the leaders around go, oh man, we choose it. We choose that too. And then it turned into an entire nation who lived a generation of families that were bold for Jesus. And can I tell you, boldness matters because boldness is contagious. True boldness, not arrogance. Boldness, because the confidence is in God. Would you stand with me? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Student, young person, dad, mom,
brother, sister, grandparent, grandmother, wherever you are in your family, no matter how messy your family is, today is the day. God says, I've come through every time. Choose me. Choose me. Don't look right now, just every head bowed, every guy's closed. But as you leave, we have another card that you can take and go home. And honestly, I just feel led just to say, whatever with the card. What about your heart? I believe it's important to write it down and a list is important. But what is it? What is the idol that right now God through his spirit is bringing into your heart that you say, okay, no more. No more. Today I choose God. I choose God. It may not feel right, but in faith, I'm casting down this idol. Would you do this in unison with me as a church? Would you raise your hand in affirmation and raise your hand with me as we pray? Father, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. But my prayer today as a shepherd and as a leader and pastor, God, is for our family, our church family, first and second service, those that are with us online, that we would cast down the idols that have lied to us for generations. Whatever it could be, and I could go on the list, but God, it's different for different people. But Father, we know, would you give, would you give us the faith? Would you give us the boldness and the confidence to cast those aside? We sang about it, God. We ask this in your son's powerful name. In Jesus' name, amen.